You are listening to audio from The Table Community Church. For more information, please visit us at thetablecc.com. executive pastor, and I am glad to be with you this morning if you're a guest with us. Thank you for coming to a new place and checking us out. We we appreciate that, and um, I'm glad that you guys are here. We are wrapping up a series that we have been in the last few weeks called The Road Less Traveled, and Bill has been taking us through this series of how Jesus has called his disciples to live and move in this world differently. Um, And it's been really challenging. And today, we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke looking at a very familiar story. Some of you guys may have heard this, whether you've been in church or not, the story of the Good Samaritan. And hang in with me if you've heard it a million times. I think there's something new to be learned here, okay? So the um, story that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at this piece that I think we've been missing Um, And so if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke 10. If you are a version Bible app user, you can find our live event um, on the app and follow along there. And the verses will be on the screen. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. I'm going to read it in its entirety. And then we'll go back and we'll... um, Take it in uh, different parts. So uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite came. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So we've heard this story before, right? And I think we kind of have to to look at what's happening here. So this lawyer is a religious lawyer, so he knows the law. He knows the question that he's asking Jesus, and Jesus knows that as well. And don't you hate it when you ask a question and then someone says, well, what do you think about it? Like, that's not an answer. And that's what Jesus does. Well, what do you think about it? And gives a question back. And 
the, the lawyer answers it correctly. Love the Lord your God above all things. Nothing else comes in place of your affections for the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the dilemma here, okay? Have you guys ever seen the movie Aladdin? You know, Aladdin, okay? I prefer the Robin Williams version to the Will Smith version for another day, another time. But he, as a genie, he grants wishes, and then one of the wishes that he cannot grant is to make someone love you, right? You can't force someone. Love is a, a natural thing. It's instinctive. You don't have to tell me to love my husband or love my kids or love a nice steak or love a good post-church nap. Like, you don't have to tell me. I just do, okay? But... Like, I was thinking, I, I use Wayne as an example. I'm going to use that as a, our pastor, uh, student pastor as an example at this service, too. Wayne hates mayonnaise. Like, hates it. Like, there's no command that will change that, right? So, either we do or we don't, okay? So, that's the, the rub and the pressure of this command that we're seeing, right? The lawyer is feeling that. He's like, ooh, okay, well, um, I have to love everyone. Well, well who, who do I actually have to love? So, so who is my neighbor? He's trying to put a scope on this law, right? He wants to put it in his box so it feels comfortable. So define the parameters for me. And Jesus shares the story of the Good Samaritan. And to kind of give you a little context, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is literally down. It's, it's, it's going down in elevation uh, several thousand feet. And it's narrow and it's rocky and it's called the, the bloody way or the, the, pass of, uh, the pass of blood because it's so dangerous. And, and robbers hide in caves and on the rocky overhangs. So this is not a road like you're strolling down on a Sunday afternoon. Like you're getting from point A to B because you have to. And, and we see this priest and he's coming down and he sees him and he passes on the other side. This isn't a six-lane highway. This is a little road. So it's not like he's passing him where he can't see him. He's up close. This is not a great look, right? This is like Bill driving down Bailey Boswell and sees you with a broken leg and a table t-shirt and he just locks his doors, rolls up his window and keeps on going. You know what I mean? Like this is not a good look, Okay. So he just passes them on by. Now, there's some, a few things that I think are important that we may, may uh, have learned here. Um, in Leviticus, the Lord gives Moses these commands about how priests deal with corpses, and essentially they become unclean, and they have to go through this religious cl- cleansing that lasts seven days. So he would have to be away from the temple for that time. So it would have been super inconvenient for him to stop. Um, it could have been a setup for him to be robbed. So it could have been dangerous. So there's these, these things that are happening. It's not giving him a pass, but, you know, it's like, okay, let's explain a little bit more about why he may have passed by. And then the Levite comes, and the Levite's like the B-team priest, okay? Like he's the B-team. And he sees the prestigious religious leader pass by. So what does he do? Follows right along. But then... We see the Samaritan. And to kind of give you some context of the, the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. Sworn enemies. Um, the Jews hated the Samaritans because they, they were a mixed race. They were half Jew, half Gentile. Samaritans didn't like they were kept out of religious duties. And, and so there was this growing hostility for like 700 years And Israel at the time was broken up into three districts, and so we had Galilee to the north, Samaria, and then Judea. And you had to go to Judea to go to the temple in Jerusalem for festivals, um, or feasts, I'm sorry, a number of times of year, and they would have to travel through Samaria. They did not want to do that. And the Samaritans didn't make it easy either. They would rob them, they would... um, do exactly what we saw, <laughs> rob them, um, desecrate the temple before, the, uh, before Passover. They would catapult pigs into the temple to desecrate it. Um, so this is not like, I just don't like them. These are sworn enemies. 
sworn enemies. And here is this man who is a Samaritan seeing his sworn enemy on the side of the road. And the scripture says he felt compassion. And we look at it, it's like a, like a, a pity for this man and the gut that drew him to help. I'm sure there was a, a pause but his compassion drew him, and he, he lifted the man out of the ditch. He, you know, treated his wounds. He put him on his own animal. So that means a Samaritan is walking this road. He takes him to an inn and cares for him. So, like, this is not just, oh, I'm going to throw my Band-Aid out the car window. This is, I am taking care of this man. And then he, he extends credit as well. And Jesus then asks a hard question, and I think this is important. He said, which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? And the priest said, the one who showed him mercy. Notice the priest cannot even say the word Samaritan. It still shows where the priest is at. And so when we look at this scripture, we can just say, well, this is what we take from it. Be nice to people. Help them. Let's go home. We'll beat everybody to lunch. Right? Like, okay, no. They gave me the mic, so I get to go a little longer. Okay, so... What it's saying is, what does it mean to love our neighbor? And we have to ask ourselves these important questions. So first is, who is our neighbor? That's what we have to define. Who is our neighbor? Anyone. Anyone. Anyone in need. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if we like them, agree with them, understand how they got in this position where they're suffering, if they have different politics or language or race or lifestyle or whatever. It's anyone in need. That is our neighbor, even our enemy. That's challenging. So when do we help, right? When is it convenient? It's not. It's when we see the need. It's when we see the need. See, we, the Samaritan had every reason not to stop. I mean, he probably thought, well, kind of, kind of deserves it, you know? He didn't have to stop, but yet he did because he saw a need. Tim Keller recommended this book a number of years ago, and I got it, and it's, like, really small, but it's, like, half of it's a new King, King James, and I had to, like, really, like, focus and, like, read it, you know? But it, taught, it was written in the 1700s, and it talks about, the author talks about how Christians are called to charity. But then he lists all these excuses that Christians have been giving to not be charitable, okay? The book was written in the 1700s. I thought these points were interesting. Here's one of the reasons that people don't help. They brought the trouble on themselves. It was the making of their own mistakes or choices, right? Edwards, the, the author, contends that when we were in need of the rescue from the turmoil that we put ourselves in, Christ met us there fully and freely meeting that need. So us pre-qualifying people, are they worthy of our help? It's actually against what God's calling us here calling us to. We don't get to decide who we think is worthy of help or who meets those qualifications, which is, which is hard because we make a decision about who we want to help, right? Well, I'll help somebody as long as they really need it. Have you ever said that? I have, right? Well, if they're really needy, I'll give it to someone who really needs it. So we determine the level of their need. And many times we, we help and it's kind of out of like, you know, oh, Pastor Bill just saw me. I got to help her. Someone's going to see me. I got to help her. I'm wearing a table t-shirt. I got a fish on my car. Whatever it is. Like, I got to help, right? We have this obligation, okay? Or we have the control of like, well, I wanted to go to someone who's really in need. And see, what, what, we're, what this story is telling us here is that 
our generosity, our charity, our help should tell the world more about the Jesus who lives in us than the people that, who we're helping. So it's a reflection of him. And I get, you, you know, the, I don't want to contribute to a problem. I think we need to have discernment when we're giving and all those things. We need to ask for wisdom. But again, is it reflecting Jesus to the world? And, and I love in Proverbs 3.27, it says, Do not withhold good from your neighbor when it's in your power to act. If we can do it, do it. When, whenever it's there, whenever that opportunity arises, who? Anyone in need. The second reason that people that in the 1700s, John, Jonathan Edwards said people refuse to help or are um, slow to help is that we only want to help when there is a dire need. There's a crisis. Now hear me. I want us as a church, Christians, to rise up when there is a dire need. And, and last year, you guys, this church was awesome. We had kids that were in hotels not getting food. You guys met that need. There was food getting there every single week. We want to help. We want to be a church that rises and meets needs. But there, we have to have a lifestyle of generosity. It's like a consistency. So when we as a church are consistently meeting needs, people begin to realize they are for me. Community Link is our local food pantry. Every single week, they are putting out all, all calls because their shelves are empty. Every single week. And it's not because all of a sudden all the grocery stores shut down. It's because people are in need all the time. That's why we collect canned foods for Community Link every single week. And maybe, it, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just simple. It's taking a meal to somebody who's struggling. Or doing a little extra weed eating between the yards. You know, I know you guys are weird about your yards, but you know what I mean, like helping your neighbor, okay? Or babysitting for the mom that just needs a sitter. Or coaching the team when there's not a coach. I know Jay's in here somewhere, and he had to coach his son's team. He's like, I've never coached soccer before, but he's doing it because he needed a coach. Maybe it's mentoring a kid at Elkins that just needs a consistent adult or showing up here after school for an hour and a half and being with teenagers that are looking for a safe place to go. Or hanging out with our kids next door because they need consistent adults pointing them to Jesus in their life. There are needs. It doesn't have to be anything huge. It's just consistent DNA of who we are meeting the needs every day. So we know who to help. We know when to help. And then we have to decide, well, how much do I have to help, right? And I think it's important that we read this story that the Samaritan lifted this man out of the ditch. He took this man. I don't know if you guys ever had to pick up like a dead weight kid. That is not easy. But he, so he lifted this man that's half dead and placed him on his own animal. And he's taking on the burden. He's lifting the man. Like, you know, if someone gets hurt on the soccer field and we have to get him off, we don't jump on him and make him carry us. We get underneath him and we lift them up and we help take that weight. That's what we're calling to do. At great personal cost, a Samaritan stepped in to help. He carried the weight. He carried the burden. Galatians 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens so, so fulfill, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's no magical amount of money or time or effort, I can tell you, that meets these needs. But many times we give out of excess and we never step in and really carry the burden. I have a little extra time. I got a little extra money. I'm going to sprinkle it around and that's enough. 
It cost me nothing. I sacrificed nothing. But what sacrificing our time, our effort, our money, does it, it gets us in and lifts the burden and we're carrying the weight. And when we carry the weight for people, we actually get to step into their lives, step into their suffering and understand. And it doesn't become about helping those people. It becomes about helping my people because we know them. We're close to it. And listen, that is hard. I get it. My money and my time are two very valuable commodities in my life. And I want to hang on them for my protection, my security, and my well-being. I get it. But why are the excuses from 1734 still relevant today? Because as humans, we forget why. We forget why we love our neighbors. And Jesus took this story and this question, and he changed us forever. See, we, we read it as we're the good Samaritan, right? You see somebody need, you help somebody. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Nailed it. Got messed it up first, first service, but I got it this time. Golden rule, right? That's what we're supposed to do. But why would Jesus use a Samaritan to illustrate this point? Okay, his audience. Remember, his audience are Jews. And a Samaritan is their sworn enemy. How uncomfortable would that be? You're comparing what we should be doing to our sworn enemy. Why did he do that? As much as I believe that we are to help people when we see a need like the Good Samaritan, I believe this is also true about this story. We should not be solely identifying with the Good Samaritan or even the priest or the Levite. We have to remember we're the dude in the ditch. That's who we are. We are broken and suffering and shameful and left for half dead. And someone who should not give us mercy, who the mercy we do not deserve, came close, lifted our burdens, lifted our shame, and rescued us. We're the guy in the ditch. That's our why. And we read ourselves as the hero, right? Well, I'll just be a good Samaritan. I'll just be good. I'll just help them. And that's good. And it's the same thing that the, the, the lawyer is looking for. He's looking for a way to get into heaven. We don't do these things because we want to get into heaven. We do these things because we're already there. We already know that we're going to heaven. And out of the overflow, we step in and we help and we serve because we are the person in the ditch. That's where we come from. And as we are lifted, we begin to realize that God, who could have considered us an enemy, didn't. He came close, and now our lives have been transformed. So now we are out giving that radical grace and mercy away. We're giving what we have been given. The only way to love something, because you can't force it, it has to be something we just do, is we experience radical grace and love, and that transforms us. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, or God in Christ forgave you. Do unto others as Christ has done unto you. He rescued us. He lifted us. He saved us. And we don't do all these things. We don't, we don't help people to be saved. We help people because we are and that is the overflow of our lives. That's the evidence and the fruit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I always end up in the same place when I'm studying scriptures. Like, okay, how do I do this? Because it's great to get up here and talk about theory and help people and all this stuff. Like, okay, that's great. How do I do it? I think there's two things that we have to have. I think there's two things we have to hang on to. 
think we have to have courage, and I think we have to have margin. Here at the table, we talk about being a courageous, bridge-building, mission-driven church. And when we talk about courageous, we talk about talking about hard things, saying hard things, doing things that are uncomfortable and get us outside of our comfort zones. And, and both as a church and individually, and in the very end, it's not about us. It's about giving God the glory and being a reflection of his grace and mercy to the world. That's what being courageous means to us as a church. And for many of us, fear is our primary decision-making uh, motivator. We're afraid. Think of the priest and the Levite. They were afraid. What's going to happen to me if I step into that? Maybe I'll be robbed. What if I step into that person's messy life? What's going to happen to me? What am I, I going to be exposed to? What, am I, what are my kids going to see? We, we function from a place of fear. And so what we do is we kind of circle the wagons and we make these tight little circles of people who think like us and act like us and are, are safe and, uh, you know, and they add value and benefit to our life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what happens is we become, become so insulated that we don't see the suffering in the margins. We become so focused on what we're doing, we don't look around at the needs all around us in our communities, in our neighborhoods. This isn't not just out there, but in here. And so what happens is that when we have courage, it, it opens our minds. It opens, hey, I'm willing to have hard conversation for my kids to see things that are, that are challenging. I'm willing to, to step into awkward situations that I feel uncomfortable, and that's what courage does. It helps us step into those situations. And it, it fights against comfort. Comfort is the biggest weapon being used against us right now. We are so comfortable that we don't ever have to experience suffering. Like my kid's suffering is like the Wi-Fi goes out. Like that's not suffering, okay? Like we're, we're so insulated. We're so comfortable. Everything comes to us. It's easy. Even, even in the hardest situations, for many of us, the, we don't suffer. And we are so insulated from that. And it's lulling us into a slumber where we forget to look for people and to represent Jesus to the world, to give, what we have been, give away what we have been given. The second thing we have to have, we have to have courage. And we have to have margin. We have to have space in our life to be able to do things. All I ever say is, I'm busy. I literally said that to somebody this morning. I was like, I'm busy. How are you? Busy? How are the kids? Busy? What have you been doing? I don't know. I just drive around places. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm busy. Like, that's all we do is busy, busy, busy. And we have these schedules and we have these lives that are, that are going, going, going. And sometimes we, we put things in weird places and prioritize things. You know, we will say these are our priorities. And we have that list that we're supposed to, we're supposed to have, right? Do you know how we can assess our priorities? Inventory your life. Look at your calendar and look at your checkbook. That will show you your priorities. That's where we can see our priorities and to assess. And do we have space in our life to actually meet a need? Look at this priest and this Levite. They were probably struggling with margin. They were on their way to do religious things, good things for the Lord, work in the temple. So I have to stay busy. I have to keep going. This is, this is what I have to do. And they miss the most important thing because of the good thing. They missed the call. So we have to inventory our lives. We have to learn how to say no. I hate saying no. I hate saying no. I hate saying no to my kids. I want them to do all the things. We have fear of missing out. We have FOMO, okay, right? You all have heard of that? We, we're so afraid of our kids missing something, so we put them in everything. We, we put them in everything, and we forget. We think, oh, but they have to have these essential experiences to have a great childhood, okay? I have to be reminded that 
I'm not raising kids. I'm raising adults, and I'm raising disciples. And the most important thing isn't always the good thing. And so I don't want them to miss it. So I have to prioritize. And I'm not saying sports is bad or vacation or activities or the lake or whatever it is is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But we can idolize them and put them in the place of God. And then what happens is our kids are watching that that our spiritual relationship, our faith, our church life is so secondary that when they get out of our house, they walk away. And us as parents go, gosh, what happened? What did I do? They were raised in a Christian home. Yeah, like five times a year. And so we have to make it a priority. That doesn't mean we stop all the things, but in those things, we have to keep our mind and eyes open to do the important thing and not just the good thing. And so for us, the, the road less traveled is, is challenging, and we know we have to love all people. We know we have to be ready to carry the burdens whenever those needs arise. And it is going to take courage, and it's going to be hard, and we're going to have to make choices and decisions in our life, but we cannot forget why. Because when we remember why, those decisions aren't as hard. We have to remember that we're the dude in the ditch. That Jesus came close, leaned down, rescued us, lifted us out of our shame, lifted us out of our sin, carried our burden so then we can walk transformed in this world and be radical givers of grace and mercy. That's what the Good Samaritan is about. Recognizing who we are, who our neighbors, is, who our neighbors are, and how we love. I'm going to invite the band as I, as I pray for us this morning to come up, and I just, I think about the people, maybe you haven't, you're kicking tires of faith. Maybe you don't know anything about this church stuff, and you think we're so weird, and I don't know why this lady's up here yelling at me, and all this stuff. I get it. But some of us think we're too far gone, and I just want you to know this story shows us that we are not. No matter how deep that ditch is, Jesus will meet you there. He will come in, and he will lift you from that. And just like the lawyer said, the right answer, it is as simple as loving the Lord with all your heart, believing in him, believing what he has done, loving the Lord all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And then living transformed from that belief. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the reminder in this scripture that we are not the hero. Humble us to remember our place that we are the one who is rescued. We are the one that so many times got walked by. And finally, you came up, you lifted us, you carried this burden. And we get to set out in a new life, healed, restored, redeemed, to go out and change the world that we get to touch, Lord, for your glory. Help us never forget where we started. And Lord, I thank you that you do not leave us there. You set us in a new life and on a new path. In your name we pray.